Hi, listeners. This week, two different black men were murdered by the police, Alton Sterling and Philando Castile. It's very, very, very sad. Very troubling. It makes me feel sick, and I don't know what the perfect thing to do is, but I felt like I needed to mention it because it is huge, and this country is more ready for change in institutionalized racism than it has ever been. Um, so, I don't know, you know? Um, a few years ago, when somebody got, somebody else got killed by the police, I talked to my friend Miss B at the senior center, who's 77 years old, and she said, I used to trust the police years ago, but no more, because you don't know the good ones from the bad ones. There's no justice. They can get away with it. This is from somebody who's 77 years old who goes to church and has a billion foster kids and has helped people her whole life, she's afraid of the police. I just, it's heartbreaking. So, as always, I would love to uh, goad my more privileged listeners into action or doing something. Uh, if you're a white person and you have the ability, I suggest that you speak out about this. Stop posting selfies for a minute and post about this. Share articles, sign petitions, talk to Congress people, read articles about how to be a less shitty white person, go out and do protests, um, give money, or at least acknowledge somewhere that you see this is happening and that this might be causing a lot of pain and suffering for the people of color around you. Okay, I'm done soapboxing. I want to say I'm feeling grief. I'm feeling sadness. Co-producer Ponyo is barking at the door, so I gotta go. But please take care of yourself, please take care of each other, and have a good week. Thank you. Today on Sagittarian Matters, producer Chris Sutton turns the microphone on me to ask his own questions and for a podcast State of the Union. Stay tuned. Chris Sutton is the producer of Sagittarian Matters. He's an artist, a writer, a DJ, and a musician. Chris has played with bands like Gossip, Hornet Leg, Dub Narcotic, Spider in the Webs, COCO, Hooded Hags, The Dirt Bombs, and Chain in the Gang. No big deal. Chris DJs under the name Hell Books, and you can find his show, Record Lections, on X-Ray FM. Now please enjoy my conversation with super excellent human being, Chris Sutton. I'm Chris Sutton. I'm the producer of Sagittarian Matters. Who are you? And normally, I am usually editing conversations, but, you know, we've done about 20 podcasts together. Do you know that? No. I said we should do 10. I think number 20 was the last one that we did, that we posted. And I felt this is, like, really timely. I think it's good to have this podcast, have me come out from behind the laptop and like talk to you about like how, how's it going for you so far? Are you enjoying the doing podcast? the podcast? Yes. I think it's really fun. 
It's like a, it's a hobby. It's as yeah. close to a hobby as right. I can have. Right. I feel it satisfies the same thing as doing a zine to me. Oh yeah, that's precisely how I view it. Like it's like making it's like you've mentioned this in a couple of your episodes. It's like you know that time. You know, like when we're all idealistic when we're like younger, like in our twenties. Yeah. I think we both were like mm-hmm. that. And like I made zines like all the time. Yeah. And it's all about like collaborating with people, like like-minded people, and things like that. So um, it's been a lot of fun for me. And the conversations have been really good, you know, and I think about it, when I think about a micro, uh, macro, it's like, you're doing this with like a little iPhone, you know? Yeah. It's like, you're just sitting an iPhone on a table and like these things just happen. I've always been interested in podcasts. You know, I listen to them a lot and I've always been interested in like getting involved and making one. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, we have, uh, a lot of the same friends mm-hmm. and we met through those friends mm-hmm. but you know we've actually kind of known about each other probably a long time mm-hmm. before we actually hung out and so one thing I always noticed about you is you've always been a great conversationalist do you think you're a good conversationalist I do think I'm a good conversationalist mm-hmm. I don't think about it until I'm in a situation where like for example no offense to this person but I went on a tinder date in Virginia with somebody a little younger who they were so nervous that it erased their whole personality. And so every time I threw them a conversation life preserver, they would just bat it away. And so at that moment, it made me conscious of like, you know, I'm actually like, I genuinely like humans and I'm interested in them. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I am interested in a lot of different things about people. And I feel like there's something interesting about probably every person, mm-hmm. even D Trump, if he was here, yeah. like anyone, yeah. I feel like I could find something to talk to them about. So, but like being in that situation where somebody was like so aggressively like, right? no, we are not going to talk about that. Totally. One word answers, nothing to say, not laughing at this. Like, no, it just made me, I was like, I I, I felt like I was like tap dancing so hard and fast. I was like, come on, come on, throw me a bone here, throw me a bone. Well, you know, it's kind of like an improv thing. You know what they say when you take improv? It's like, you not supposed to reject a premise. Yes, and. So... Right. So, like, when you run into somebody, like, that is constantly shutting down conversations like that, I mean, that's really frustrating for me, you know? As far as, like, I mean, not even as as a date, but just personal relationships, (laughs) is that really important to you? Like, somebody else being, like, a good conversationalist, like Beth, for example? Yeah. Or we... I don't, or I mean, Michelle. Yeah. Michelle's yeah. a really good like, conversation list. Like the people on the podcast. Wait, by the way, the podcast also fills a friendship need for me. Mm-hmm. It fills a zine thing and a friendship need because I actually get to have these conversations with people and we're actually connecting. Right. Like it's actually fun and then we, I feel like we're actually doing a thing. So it's totally. like I'm collaborating with you and I'm collaborating right. with all these different people. Anyway, in my personal life, it is important for people to be good conversationalists, but I don't think about it. It's just that's who I jive with the most. Mm-hmm. Um, it's people that I can, like, I guess improvise with. Like, people that are good improvisers. Mm-hmm. Like, people that can, like, run with a joke. Right. Maybe they don't even totally get the joke, but we can run with it and keep yeah. it going. Or, like, we can, like, sing a song together. Mm. Like, yeah. I mean, yeah, totally. Just, just imagine me, like, I mean, like... Yeah, like I was thinking like one time I was driving someone around and my radio was broken in my van and I was like, let's play Human Jukebox. Like, just tell me whatever song you want to hear and then I'll just sing it. 
And I'm just like, <laughs> like being able to like roll with something is pretty important. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, in quite a few of our podcasts, you ask the question, uh, what is it like to date a cartoonist? Yeah. So the question I have for you is like, have you ever thought about what it was like, what it'd be like to date you as a cartoonist? What do you think it's like to date Nicole Georges? So fun. <laughs> <laughs> the, I, I mean, not like lurid details, best, but just as a, you know, like, the best like you're dating time. Nicole. Uh, as a cartoonist? You're, you're a girl and you're like dating Nicole. Yeah. Like how, what is that like? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I think it has probably, I think that I, I think it's like dating someone who, is often grouchy but knows exactly why and can tell you why and communicate that. You feel that you're grouchy? I feel particular, mm. but I feel that I am self-aware of it after many years okay. of therapy and living with myself. Right, right. And so I also know how to fix it. Yeah. And I need a lot of alone time. Do you reveal? How, how long does it take for you to reveal the grouchiness? It really depends when the bloom comes off the rose. I mean, like... Like we talked... Like, usually like, like a month, a few dates, like... I don't know. I mean, I think it... Does it just I, come out? I don't know. Okay, like, a person that you and I both know who I dated for a very long time, like, we didn't even really, like, process or fight for at least the first nine months of dating. Mm. Like, we just got along and got each other, and I was not offensive to them. And if I was in a bad mood... That they didn't take it personally and vice mm. versa. And that was very harmonious in that way because I wasn't offending someone. So right. if somebody has like not a great sense of humor or is a little insecure and then I'm constantly offending them, that's not a great situation for me. But it's a situation right. I've been in like many where times. Where you're offending somebody. Oh, just over and over again. Wow. Because they don't get my sense of humor so they think I'm such an asshole. But I think the idea of dating a cartoonist... I don't know what the fuck that guy was talking about who inspired the original question. I don't know what he was talking about except for that maybe he thought that they were like super charming and sexy because they did this artistic thing and then they broke his heart. I think that's probably what he means. Right. I think that he was like excited about them because of that thing and then they broke his heart. But you actually have things you have to do. You have deadlines to get to. Yeah. And I think like a lot of people don't. And I think like, you know, when you're talking about the guy who inspired the question, guys have a really hard time like, you know, if, like, there's something more important than them, you know? Mm-hmm. I think there's probably men that struggle with that, especially if they don't have anything themselves, you know? Yeah. If they don't have, like, a comic book to do or they're yeah. not making records, you know, or something like that. Or I wonder maybe if that guy in particular, because the women in question were talented and visible, maybe he had this illusion of lots of people wanting to, like, get with them. And maybe he was insecure about that or he felt like he couldn't. Because I think at least one of them had cheated on him or something. Yeah. I don't know. I think that. I think that sometimes there's like, like I've dated someone who's like, people just like imagine that I'm just like going home to a gangbang every day because people read my book and then I just like gave them my address. I don't know what they think Uh is happening, but like, you know, even if there's like a gangbang available, it doesn't mean that someone can't just like focus (laughs) in on you because maybe not everybody wants that. Another topic that comes up a lot is like, especially the artists you talk to, yeah. like the word compulsion comes yeah. up a lot. You know, like this is a compulsive behavior Yeah, being a cartoonist. Yeah. And um, sort of weighing that out, like trying to carve out time in your life 
to do cartoon because it takes so much time. Yeah. Like you have to draw constantly. Yeah. Do you think you've gotten to a place in your life where like you know exactly what you want out of life and then like does a person a person probably have to work around this time, right? Well, right. This is a weird time for you to ask me this cuz right now I'm in the tail end of finishing a book and I've realized it's really valuable for me to just streamline what's going on for me and I can't really deal with the ups and downs of like relationship right. moment like right. right now in this like two month stretch right I can't be like messing around and like sure. messing up my vibe and like it's kind of like because sometimes I can just shove off work to another time or do mm-hmm. it any time of day around yeah, yeah. when we have a thing planned but totally. right now my life is arranged such that I just have to work every day right during the nighttime hours generally sure um so a person so if I want to hang out with another human being, I have to like really adjust my schedule. Sure. But I generally know what I want out of life, but I am open to it shifting. Mm-hmm. And right, I think over the winter season, I decided that work is my girlfriend right now. Right. Uh, work is work and Ponyo are my life partners right now. Sure. And I can and will have room for a human life partner at some point, but right now. Mm. Do you think like having too many friends can like stunt? Your success, because I feel like you know you always hear about like good, like the greats, you know they just did it all the time, you yeah. Know? And so I wonder if, like, trying to like you know prioritize human interaction with like your artwork, you know, like I don't know. I think some people would believe that like you can't really have like a deep meaningful relationship with somebody and still have the level of success that you have. I don't know what what level of success are you trying to get at. I want someone to make a movie out of my book. I want people to make movies out of books that I am yet to even draw or some kind of TV show, like be it a Nickelodeon animated show, Mm -hmm. be it like a serious show, who knows. I want that stuff. Basically, I was thinking about this too because in the Carson Ellis interview, she's like, what does it matter if I get more exposure because I already am doing the work I want to do. Right. And I don't have time to do more work. Right. I'm into being at that place, but that place for me equals being more financially stable than I am mm-hmm. um, consistently and just getting to choose whatever projects I want to work on. And that's what I work on. Right. Um, and I'm, I live a pretty groovy life for the most part mm-hmm. as far as that goes. But yeah. that's a level of success. Yeah. But I feel like, you know, like think about Dan Clouds. Mm-hmm. Like he, Ghost World came out and he sold way more comics because of that. And then he sold more movies because of that. So he's way more financially stable mm-hmm. being a cartoonist than I am. So I kind of want to get to that place. Right. But I don't, as far after that, I don't know. But you see your stories as, as movies, as uh, something that could be live action? Mm-hmm. Live action or animated. I don't know what the best thing is. Would you want it? Well, animating is like, that's, I wouldn't that's, animate that's even more intense. Than I wouldn't animate it myself. I would sooner... Sooner right. I kill myself. I mean, that's more drawing that you're doing now. No. But think that's about crazy. computers. Um, right. But the question is, do you have to have less friends to be successful? Yeah. No. But I do think, I mean, it's it's weird and hard to say, but I I mean, I did a lot of, I had the, a big breakup a few years ago and my whole life fell apart. Mm-hmm. But I had a lot of professional success after that. Mm. And it was nice to be able to focus solely on that without mm-hmm. balancing Right. A life partner's needs at that moment. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of into getting to a plateau space. But um, 
being artist for me means having to say no to things sometimes. So it's like going to dinner with the friends, but mm-hmm. then they want to get drinks afterwards, and you say, no, I have to go to work. Right. That's then, so hard. And then someone's like, you have to work? And then I get annoyed, and mm. then I snap at them and say, yeah, I work every day. Right, right. And then they're like, oh, God. <laughs> um, but it's like making space for yourself every day to work. And the mm. only person that I shift that for is Beth. Mm-hmm. Because she is like... I don't know what you... She's, like, so spontaneous. Yeah. And when she's it's around... It's like catching a comet. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. like catching a comet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When Beth Ditto is home and around and she wants to hang, you know that it may not happen again for months and months and right. months. So she's the only person I know who I will shift sure. my schedule for because it's worth it. Because mm-hmm. she is, like, one of my human soulmates. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. like, hanging out with her feels like vitamins. Yeah. And I need those vitamins to do the, all the solitary work that I do. Right, right. And I think she feels the same way about you. But, you know, she also yeah. gets busy, too. You know, she travels the world. Yeah. You know, so it's not one of those things where, like, oh, I need to hang out with her, and then you're sort of, like, stuck. Yeah. You know. But, like, was that something that you felt you had to work at in your life as far as, like, making sure that you were working every day? I mean, you have deadlines, which yeah. probably help. Yeah. But was, I mean, did you have to work at that? Like, like seeing it as work and, like, oh, I have to do this every day. Um, I had to... The hardest thing I had to do was accept that it's boring sometimes, but you have to do it anyway. Mm-hmm. And then um, not reward myself all the time. I don't like. I just mm-hmm. I don't know how to. Do it. I and I, I've always done it, but I've I've always liked structure and order. Right. Probably because I grew up in utter chaos. Yeah. And so then, as an adult, I just anything that's like structured or orderly or like come here on time, I'm like, I'm going to do my very best, mm-hmm. and if I don't do it, I'm going to beat myself up about it. Like, right. I just love that kind of thing. So I've always been attracted to deadlines. And a psychic told me that I, I probably have too much anxiety around deadlines, and I could chill out about them a little mm-hmm. bit. And I was like, what are you saying? <laughs> but, um, yeah, I've, I mean, like, calling Dr. Laura, I worked probably six hours a day on it, give or take. And this book, that's what mm-hmm. I'm doing right now, mm-hmm. you know, when you get into the final stretch of drawing it. Right. And I did that every day. And then when I finished calling Dr. Laura, I still had that, um, I had that pattern that I had established mm. for myself. Yeah. So then I put that energy into the zines I was doing then, or the comics I was doing then. Mm-hmm. And then my comic friends were like, oh my God, how did you just draw so much? And I'm like, because I've been drawing six hours a day. Right. Is it getting easier? Uh, like, are you able to like kind of do more faster? I can't tell yet. I can't tell. I've been inking two pages a day every day for probably the past six six months or mm-hmm. so, mm-hmm. and that is a lot of inking. That's pretty fast. That's, it, that's pretty good. Did it? Uh, so you you were at a retreat for a while where you were able to have a lot of time to do that stuff as yeah. it, as it slowed down considerably since you've been back in Portland. It's exact same clip. So Basically, not- exactly because I've been in a deadline tailspin for you know probably nine months right right but like you know you volunteer at the senior center Mm -hmm. like all those things are still happening and you're still getting six hours of work yes you know what was an important lesson i had to learn was when i used to beat myself up over not getting to work early enough Mm -hmm. and then at a certain point i decided to just respect my own internal schedule of when it felt right to go to work Mm -hmm. so instead of being like oh you're such a loser i can't believe you're still looking at the internet it's noon I'm just like, you know what? I'm going to go to work 
today from like 6 to 12 or like 4 to 10 mm-hmm. and that's when I'm going to go to work today. And that's yeah. okay. So up until if I find myself getting anxious at like 2 o'clock when I'm like, right. geez, go to work. I'm like, you don't have to go to work till 4. Just relax. Yeah. So like the senior center mm-hmm. on Fridays, I'm like, okay, Fridays I go to the senior center. I go to like a therapy thing and then I go home and take a nap and relax and eat dinner and go to work at 6. Wow. So I have the the bulk of my relaxation comes earlier in the day. Oh, wow. Okay. And then I work till like 12 and then I go to bed at like 2. Wow, and you've been doing this every Friday. That's your like your Friday thing. Many Fridays, Friday. you will find that I am posting on Instagram or something, myself oh. drawing in the oh. studio. I have like four different deadlines every week. You know, I have oh, to yeah. an article, I have to make a radio show, I got to do a podcast, and like it's invigorating. It's inv- It's know. not stressful. It's invigorating. No, I mean it's just the right amount mm-hmm. of stuff. Like yeah. anything more would probably be a little crazy, but right now in my life, it's like these. I have these things to do that are totally enriching and it kind of happens every day and then like Monday is kind of like my day off yeah it's like but I work that day but at the same time it's like that's the night that like me and Karen hang out and we go to a movie or whatever you Mm -hmm. know and then like then the cycle starts over yeah like after that well it's it's kind of like like my sister came to visit me when I was in that band with radio when I was like young my sister came to visit us and she was like you guys work every day and I just hadn't noticed because the things that we do feel like fun. Right. So like I've been like volunteering places, working mm-hmm. on zines, working a job at a nonprofit or what have you. Mm-hmm. I mean, pretty much every day. You know, and there's this interesting, when I travel, you know, like traveling all over the world, I've been, you know, with Beth and like these other bands that I do, like there is like the certain concentration of types of people from Olympia, kind of in Portland, but... For me, growing up in Olympia, I'm like, oh, it comes from here, you know, because yeah. we had the transfused, yo-yo, go-go, yeah. like all these cool things that we started. And so, like, when you go outside of this bubble, you find, like, that rare, it becomes rare. And then there's, like, sort of pockets like Athens or, like, Bloomington, yeah. you know, that'll have the same vibe. But people kind of end up up there. And, you know, the thing is, like, you're from the Midwest, yeah. right? And, like, you made it. And, like... Like, what we're talking about, like, working every day, doing things, like, you, that's sort of like a Northwest kind of style of doing things, and you made it up here. To me, it seems like a Midwestern kind of, like, think about Bloomington, like, that, like, community spirit, Mm -hmm. you have to work it. If you want it to exist, you have to make it on your own. Right. Small town kind of thing, which Mm -hmm. is the same thing you guys had in Olympia. Yeah. That's, that's what I was, like, in Kansas City, like, if I wanted a Food Not Bombs, I had to start Food Not Bombs. If I wanted a fucking riot girl group, I had to start the group. If I wanted, you know, like a zine distro, I had to start the zine. Like anything. You want a band to come that you like? You better call their booking agent and right. figure out how you're going to make their $300 guarantee and like make flyers. and. Yeah. But in Olympia, that just happens. You know, in Olympia, it's not like, oh, food not bomb. Oh, there's a 10, 20 people doing it. Like, oh, we should start a feminist organization. Well, you know, it's already going on. There's already like 30 people. But that's what, you know. that was, when I moved to Portland, I was felt really, I felt really relaxed. Because that was because everything was already under control. Right. So then I could like just you don't have to start anything. I could just choose something new to do. It wasn't like survival organizing. Growing up in Kansas City, I mean, like when I was a teenager in Kansas City, Missouri itself, it's a little harsh, and you do kind of get into being like, I live in a place that's hard to live, and I am more tough because of it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So I totally get that. Right. But then coming here, I was like, wow, there's not as high of a, like a violent crime rate. Do you, cool. feel, do you feel like there's like a culture shock? Do you feel like there's something that you bring when you come to Northwest? Is there a certain part of your like personality that you felt was like different or maybe you had to like bend to fit in around know. here? I mean, I definitely, there's, I have some kind of East Coast flavor. I have some kind of like harsh East Coast-ish thing. I don't know if it's from being from Kansas City or what, or what, or growing mm -hmm. up partially on the East Coast, but as a very small child or what, but people here are like a little bit more sensitive. Yes. So I find that I, um, I don't know. Like when mm. I moved to Vermont, my therapist was like, I think people on the East Coast are really going to get you. I think you're really going to like it there. People right, are really going right. to get you. But then I went to Vermont, which is like Portland, and people oh. are like way more sensitive of hippies. And... Are you concerned with other artists stealing your ideas or capitalizing on ideas that you had? Tara alluded, like it was kind of, she alluded in your interview about like seeing like a calendar in Whole Foods and it mm. looked like your artwork. Yeah. You know, and so you've always been a proponent of there's plenty, like, yeah. you know, like there's no scarcity. Yeah. So, like, I just wonder, and you guys never really expanded on it. So I'm wondering how, what are your feelings about that? Or have you seen that? Do you think I've, that people I've are I've seen that? it for a long time. And it's unfortunate and it's, it's annoying, but then you just have to let it go. Because mm -hmm. what are you going to do? You're going to mm -hmm. stop doing your work? No. Right. And, like, basically, for probably at least five years in a row, I would text Michelle T about different people that had bitten my various projects mm -hmm. or styles or whatever. And she would be like, you know, you should just, like, you're more talented than that person, and it's obvious that they're ripping you off, and you should be happy that you get to have more good ideas. Right. And this sad person only has one idea that they stole from you. Yeah. And I just was like, yeah, like there's not, like I'm not going to stop having ideas and like this one drawing I did of a cow that you just stole and redrew. Right. It's not the last thing I'll do. I just have to keep my head down and do my own work because mm. when people don't, it makes you look petty. Yeah. It makes you look childish. Yeah. When people on Facebook are like, someone else had the same idea as me. Like, guess what? I, me even existing is a conglomeration of so many other people's ideas sure. that have come into my head, gone around in a washing machine and then been barfed out. Sure. Like, if I was interviewing Phoebe Gleckner and she's like, I did a traumatic graphic memoir. How dare you? Mm -hmm. Like, what? Right. Her thing still exists, and it's awesome, and it's its own thing, and, like, it exists for all time. Right. But it is something that you notice, and it's something you've had to deal with. Oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. And there was, like, really only one time when I addressed it, because I was annoyed that someone who was a customer had purchased a calendar from me, and then they posted their own calendar on Etsy that was almost identical to my calendar, but they just redrawn things. Ugh. And they had used, one of the things I had in my calendar, which was novel at the time, was a narwhal wearing a scarf, uh -huh. which was like all me. Uh -huh. That was all me. And she had a narwhal wearing a scarf on the cover of her <laughs> calendar the year after buying it from me. Oh no. And they were on that back cover of my calendar. Right. And so I wrote to her and I was like, hey, this makes me uncomfortable because it's bordering on infringement. So mm. I need you to chill okay. and just know that I'm aware. Okay. And she was like, I'm so sorry. You know, I totally look apologize. up. I look up to you and I admire you as an artist. It's really one of my things that I've tried not to let the art I am influenced by, you know, but 
and it was like some of the, it was so harmless. Like she wasn't going to start an empire based on my narwhal scars. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And other people in Portland have taken my ideas and then run with them in a direction that's something I never would have done. So like more power to them. I'll stay over here in my corner. Mm-hmm. And if people like my stuff, they'll like it. And people like their stuff, they'll like it. Right. Yeah. Right. Wow. I don't know. I think you and Michelle talked about this a little bit, but what if somebody gave you $5 million? To do what? To never draw again. Oh, no, I couldn't do it. I'd have to draw. For, for, for five mil? You... I would be happy not to draw comics. I would be happy to, like, be able to be an illustrator. But, um, no. It was just what I but did. You, but you'd, ha- you'd have to do it. Like, even if you were just, like, set up for life. Forever? Like, whatever. Yeah. That's too indecent of a proposal. <laughs> that is, That's an indecent proposal. That is an indecent proposal. The movie indecent proposal. I mean, everyone I've ever dated, I'm like definitely for sure a million dollars. You know, for sure a million dollars. Like for like your girlfriend. Oh, like, five hundred dollars. <laughs> Who cares? But if somebody's like, you have to stop drawing forever. No way. I would go crazy. Well, you know, this is tying in with the compulsion. Yeah. With a compulsion question. Because I was, I was just like, what, like, what could possibly get you to stop? Like, would make you stop doing it? Like, you feel you have to do this thing every day. But, like, what are we working towards? You know, it's kind of like we're climbing this mountain. I'm making a body of work. Right. Exactly. But, like, what is that, you know, I'm thinking macro. Like, what does that mean in the grand scheme? You know, like, that's that's one thing I struggle with being a musician. You know, it's like there's so many bands. But you, in particular, have a unique point of view and you're a unique person. And you're, I hope so. You're influencing the culture, whether you feel it right now or not. It's in such little ways, but they're valuable to people. Like, I just went and saw a show, and the person playing music, their music is in my head. Like, I have mm-hmm. thoughts about their lyrics and their particular meaning to my life mm-hmm. as I'm walking my dog three years after first hearing the song. So, mm. like, you having a radio show, you telling people about artists you like, you being in bands, you being visible, uh, all those things are influencing culture, you know, mm. even if it's in a little way. Well, I thanks. Think. There's this uh, garage rock festival called Summer Bummer. And I remember one time me and Nadia's band played at the thing, and we were, like, the second band out of, like, 15 bands. Mm-hmm. And it started at two. And by nine o'clock, I was like, you know what? I fucking hate guitars. <laughs> I like, why do I play guitar? Like every dipshit can play guitar. Why am I playing guitar? And why is what I play guitar more important than any of these dipshits playing guitar? Yeah. You know, it gets really super like negative. It's like, why yeah. am I doing this? Yeah. You know, it's almost too much. Yeah. Well, you gotta, you can't, <laughs> you gotta stay out of those spaces. <laughs> or like maybe like what's happening is like, maybe I shouldn't watch so much music. That was one thing I, it was one thought I had. Like, maybe I shouldn't go to as many shows. Or maybe not music that doesn't move you. Because, you know, like, there's music that inspires you. Right. People are like, oh my god, I want to go play. Blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. But just, like, there's so many diary comics in the world. And I can read diary comics and make me be like, fuck diary comics. Like, I know, who cares? Who fucking cares? (laughs) Like, just like, who cares? And then, but if I read too many of those, I never wanted to do diary comic again but then i also remember i'm different than those people right in ways that i can't even control well the thing that i think is different about making a comic versus making a song or a record is that the, making a comic requires so much discipline 
that like just the act of making it kind of separates the you know like the men from the boys or you know the girls from the women or whatever so I feel like there's a weeding out process you know like in making it it's like you know you probably you because you teach comics yeah and so you probably I mean how many of your students I mean I don't know what type of class it is but like how many of your students you think are just going to keep going after you teach them like they're going to be like this this is awesome I'm going to be a comic book artist I don't know but you know you have to not be goal oriented about it oh. or anything, you know? Oh, okay. Like I remember once I was getting so tweaked because a high school class I was teaching wasn't gonna have met my goal for them by the end mm. of the semester. Mm. Like they weren't being as productive and fast as I wanted them to uh-huh. be at drawing. They were fucking around. And my supervisor, you know, my advisor was like, you, the things that they're producing with you, it's probably more than most of these kids have produced in any class all year. Right, so like, right. it's actually not the end product. It's the fact that you're here, they're getting to interact with you, you're teaching them these lessons, they're getting this practice. You know, that's the important thing. There's mm-hmm. them to be around you okay. and experience what you have to say. I mean, it's exactly the same as I feel like with you with music is like, yeah, like you're you're living in somebody's brain. Like your music, your guitar playing, mm-hmm. your writing, whatever, is living in lots of different people's brains. Whether or not it's like they're all showing up at a stadium at the same time to be like, oh, Chris, right, Chris, right. Chris, Chris, Chris. Margaret's telling me all the time, it's like, you're great. Yeah. You're a great musician. Thanks. <laughs> you're the best. Thanks. But it's something like I've taught, I mean, at least probably 12,000 students over the past 15 years of teaching in Portland. Mm-hmm. And, like, it's not that all those people are going to write best-selling comics, but it's that a lot of those people have learned to tell stories in a different way, or they've learned that their emotional experience is valid, or this is a mm. way for them to transform their emotions into something different uh, besides taking it out of themselves or other people. And I don't know. Or maybe they just learned how to draw a dog on a skateboard. <laughs> it's, it could go either way. It's okay. Oh, but cool. all those people got access to, like, a weirdo, radical person. Who like joked with them and told them their drawings were good enough mm-hmm. and that they should just keep drawing. And I know for me as a kid, I was in cartooning classes that I was like, this is so fucking stupid. And I like didn't make comics. And now years later, I still remember things that happened in those classes. You are, of course, a fan of animals. I am a fan you of animals. You draw them a lot. Yeah. You're an advocate. Um, is there a favorite animal of Nicole George's? Is there, not to draw... But just what animal or animals do you like the most? Hmm. Dogs are fine. Uh, I mean, besides pond. I have dogs around because they're domesticated so they can live with you. Right. I like monkeys. You know, I moved to Portland in part, in part randomly, in part because of my friend, but also in part because I had gone on this thing called the Primate Freedom Tour, which was an activist tour that went around. Here's the little known fact that I people should know about me at some point in my life. Maybe not today. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But is that I've been doing like organizing and activism work since I was 16 years old mm-hmm. all the time, like consistently. Yeah. So that's I mean, you like t- an, you talk about it a little bit. It's like an important, valuable, but largely unspoken part of my life. Is that like I just like that's another way I overwork myself. Mm-hmm. Um, but I went on the Primate Freedom Tour. I guess I say that because I want people to know like you can do a lot of things at once mm-hmm. and it's and to help people in a lot of different ways. You don't have to just be like a navel gazing artist mm-hmm. who's like, what did I feel today? Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, the Primate Freedom Tour was all these crusties and 
animal rights activists in a bus driving around the country for a month. I was on it for two and a half weeks, going and protesting at different primate research facilities and doing like teach-ins, sit-ins, like whatever. I got arrested at a protest, a nonviolent protest. I did like nonviolent training. I got arrested at a protest in Georgia um, and like put in jail for a day and a half at the Yerkes Primate Research Facility. So all the crusty punks on that tour said they were gonna move to Portland and take down OHSU, Oregon Health and Science University's primate <laughs> research program, primate experimentation program. And I was like, you guys are really gonna move there? And they were like, totally. And I was like, cool, me too. Mm-hmm. And then you know, nobody fucking moved here. Nobody else moved but you, here. But you did. I moved here. You moved here. And I did not take down OHSU. I also <laughs> thought when I moved here, I was gonna join Earth First and tie myself to a tree. That did not happen. Uh-huh. I like, I was like, I'm tired of working on social issues. I want to like get in with the earth. And then I got here and I missed like a couple of tree climbing workshops mm-hmm. that you have to take to be an earth first. And then I just got hooked up with like teaching kids zines again, which I already, uh-huh. yeah. and I just started, got back into social issues. Right, right. And it, you know, and do you miss like being that kind of like. That kind of activism? Like, do you, you, know, you think you'd go back to doing that? Or is that just like... I have a fire for it, but around that time when I moved here, 9-11 happened. Mm. And then it was way easier for, like, very rich companies to try and get any kind of earth or animal av- activists classified as terrorists. So after I moved here, when I had that spirit for, like, chaining myself to shit mm-hmm. and like breaking into a poultry farm and stealing chickens which i've tried to do before all that stuff got labeled as terrorism so you couldn't even take a picture of a slaughterhouse from across the street mm-hmm. or you'd be labeled a terrorist and so i had to make a i had to like have a moment with myself and be like you could get arrested for this and go away for a long long time like when i moved here this guy trey arrow had like put himself outside of some lumber company or some building in Portland and was like doing like a tree sit basically on the outside of a building in Portland. And he went to fucking jail. Like he was in jail. Like he maybe got sent to prison. Like it was like people I knew were being investigated by the FBI, grand jury after grand jury, going to jail, getting like traced out of Portland. And I was like, I think I can serve the greater good. I think I could do something (laughs) more that spreads wider than me rotting in jail Mm -hmm. for like, you know, you locking my neck to a logging road. Sign. Right. Like I just had to be like, you're you're worth something. It's either that you're like throwing yourself on the firing line and like blazing out fast, or maybe you could do this populist thing, art for animals and people, mm-hmm. and reach more people that way and help them that way. So that was a long way of saying I like primates. Right. <laughs> so like maybe like, any like, type any type of monkey. Chimps, chimps and great apes. I like I like orangutans. Oh. So that's part of the reason I don't eat palm oil, mm-hmm. which they even sell. Through ve- at vegan grocery stores in vegan products, which is horrifying to me. I don't eat palm oil because I love orangutans. I love. I'm so sad that gorilla got shot. Yes. Very sad oh about that. Oh my god! Me and Karen totally sided with a gorilla on that. By the way, I don't. I don't. I don't think human life is more valuable than animal life. Well, Sorry. it's not about that. It's about like if the gorilla jumped over this fence and like beat up the kid, then I'd be like, oh well, okay. You know, but like this was like the kid, called, you know, you see it. Like he had to get under the fence. Watch it. He had to go over this moat. But then what were they? Like they... all the stuff had to happen before the kid even got to the gorilla. Oh, know? I didn't see that. Part. And then the alligator thing happened like a week later. You I know. Can't even... Yeah. <laughs> 
but you know, for me, it's not even about like, you know, like human life over, you know, it's like, well, you have to weigh out what happened. You have to look and you, uh, you know, an institution like that can't think like that because, you know, they'll get shut down if they yeah. don't follow the certain protocol. But that's why, like, but, I was protesting because chimps and humans are not that different. I mean, like, physically, they're not that different. And right. I, people are doing things like infecting chimps with AIDS and putting them in isolation. Yeah. Like, solitary confinement with AIDS. And the only people you see are there to take your blood. And they're like, that's, yeah. like, the worst life. I, oh my I just don't think humans are better than animals. We're also animals. Yes. The best thing a human can do is help other humans. But who cares? Right. You know, just... and it's like that division of like, con- like you know, whatever consciousness is, you know, and like I think chimpanzees have that, you know, um, but you know, there's like, like con- gorillas. Yeah, gorillas for sure. Dolphins, you know, animals like that. There is like kind of a level of consciousness where it goes beyond, like the thing. You know, it's like we're on Earth and we're like, oh, I wonder what that star is like, or I wonder, oh, yeah. look at that moon. Where like a wolf is just like, no, he's not thinking that. You know, it's like yeah. very base. You know, I think that's sort of like what separates us. But at the same time, like, there's no way of knowing. There is yeah. probably a nature consciousness yeah. going through all those animals that are beyond us. But, we, but, like, why do we get to judge or, like, control their lives? Because we're like, our consciousness is more valuable than yours because we can do math and appreciate comedy. Like, I just... Right. Yeah. But, I mean, that's what, what people... I don't know. We but, can cure the diseases that we give ourselves. been a large thing about like Hollywood going gay you know like modern family mm-hmm. you know there's like there's at least one gay character on every new new show that's out and like they're becoming less and like you know it's not like the uh um it's like a character the will and grace yeah like hello you know it's like that people are like, they're starting to normalize mm-hmm. um like how are you feeling about the culture in general like you know do you think that's happening in media are you happy with are there any I mean, we talked about transparent, but like, are there shows that you're starting to feel you can relate to, like media in general? <laughs> mm, I don't know. You still feel there's a fight there? The fight's yeah, out there? I think the fight's still out there. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I am genuinely surprised and happy that culture is even where it's at right now. Mm-hmm. Like, the trans thing happens so fast. Like, yeah. when you think about, I mean, AIDS is still in our rearview mirror of, like, people thinking that gay people deserve to die of this disease because they had sex with each other. Mm-hmm. It's, like, not that far away. Mm-hmm. And then not so far before that is, like, gay homosexuality being in the DSM and, like, gay people getting arrested at bars. Like, women wearing men's clothes getting arrested for wearing men's clothes at bars is within the lifetime of people that we hang out with or yeah. see all the time. Right. So, like, the, our society now being, like, yes, gay, but also trans, like, so fast, like, it, I just, I'm so happy with it. There's this, <clears throat> who is it? I wrote down the, the quote from this woman artist that was, like, to change a culture quickly, like, use what is popular, basically. Mm-hmm. Like, use, use whatever people are actually looking at. And so things like transparent mm-hmm. and, like, Caitlyn Jenner, like, people are looking at their Kardashians. So Caitlyn Jenner being associated with that and like coming out as trans 
and also transparent, probably making a space right. in media for her to feel comfortable doing that. Right. And in society, having these conversations, like people fucking caring about gay people getting beat up in bathrooms. Yeah. I'm like, I feel very happy about that as a whole. As far as like media stuff, I, don't, I can't tell. Like what shows do I watch? I watch the Maria Bamford show, uh, Lady Dynamite, mm-hmm. which is great. So it's de-stig- that's destigmatizing mental illness. The trans thing's happening. People are talking about race, which like when I was a teenager and I was like learning about the Black Panthers and stuff and I was like, oh, okay, so COINTELPRO will just come in and squash any movement that happens. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, these black leaders were so good. Oh, they got killed. Mm-hmm. Like I just was like, okay, that's what's going to happen. Uh, that's how America is. Okay, I see that. And then like with, I, with all these different things that as a teenager, mm-hmm. I was like, no one cares. No one cares right. about gay people or women or people of color or mentally ill people, all those things are becoming nationwide conversations. Yeah. And I think it's really cool. Like, the idea that Bernie Sanders can even be out right. there being, like, right. pretty much a socialist mm-hmm. and that people are talking about him in a serious way in public yeah. and he's not, like, um... You know, there's a common idea. There's a lot of people, especially, like, older people in Hollywood, they're um, <clears throat> kind of talking about how, like, there's more... Homo, like homosexuals and women taking over the media and how like those things are changed. I mean, even like on a light like Ghostbusters. But like, then people or, freaked or, out about it. Right. I mean, I think people, well, people are um, pessimistic about it. But people uh, are like, I just, I don't know. I think that people love to criticize women. Yes. And I've had this thought, and I probably said it on the podcast before, but I've had this thought where I was like, what if we also criticize women for one day? Like, mm-hmm. How would that feel? I don't know. Right. But like with the Ghostbusters thing, people are like finding reasons to like talk about it. it's probably going to suck and like feeling yeah. really like, right. are they going to make a second one that's just men? And you're like, what are you talking yeah. about? What year is it? But I felt like an instantaneous thing. Like when I saw it, when I knew it was happening, me and Karen were so jacked because we love yeah. All of those people. Like, yeah. All four of those women are just like, have made us laugh so many times in the yeah. last how X amount of years. And like when we both went out to the world and we'd be like, excited about to do Ghostbusters, almost unanimously, it's going to suck. Like it was just unanimous. Like this weird, I don't know. It's like kind of a breaking out of the bubble moment. Yeah. It you feels, know? That feels like a microaggression. <laughs> but it is, I guess the thing is like you and I live in a radical bubble right. where I feel like most of the men around me have like a women's studies equivalent degree, mm. like a gender studies equivalent. Sure. Like, and in Portland, we live in this radical bubble around all kinds of things. And then going outside of that, I'm like, so like, I even listen to feminist podcasts that aren't radical enough for me and that are annoying <laughs> mm-hmm. because it's straight people talking at the like, guess what? Periods exist. Whoa. Mm-hmm. And like, mm-hmm. People I know have been like painting with their period blood since I was in high school. Like I've been in communities, people are like watering their garden with their period blood. So the idea that people will say that periods exist in public right now and like that's super radical, I'm like, I guess. I like I'm happy it's happening, but I'm also like I'm in a different place with totally. that. Like I'm wearing it as war paint. So one more question. Yeah. Um this will probably be really hard to answer, but do you was there a favorite a particular interview in this one of the last 20 episodes mm-hmm. or episode 20 was there an interview that you enjoyed the most i mean there was really great ones like ian mckay is great um Abby miles i mean they're all really good yeah. to me yeah um you know you and michelle have a really good like 
repoir, you know, was there a favorite? And there could not be one, but... Was there a favorite? Um, I really had fun talking to Liz Prince. Oh, yeah. Because I just like talking to Liz. And we recorded that one at your apartment with the dogs running around. Yeah, yeah. And that I was taking care of a dog. <laughs> that was fun. You were There was like a lot of dogs running around. I was talking to Liz. That was fun. But you had to talk about the idea of guys when I like throw a bag over your head. Um, <laughs> that was fun. I enjoyed interviewing Noah Van Skyver in France. And I basically like I've just done these a lot of different places. Mm. That's kind of been a favorite thing. Like yeah. Noah I interviewed in the VIP lounge of Angoulême. In France, drinking cognac, sitting basically at a piano, that was cool. Because we're like nerds. Like cartoonists yeah. don't get anything like that in America. Right. But then us, like me, like sneaking him in a side door, being like, "I'm a VIP. He's with me." And the yeah. security guard being like, "Oh, please, madame." Like that doesn't happen here. Right. Right. Here, people are like, "You're a cartoonist. That's cute. Like you must be, be poor." Like you must be homeless. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you must be poor with bad posture. I'm like, well, that is true. Those were really fun. Um, I, the Ian McKay one was nerve-wracking, but I was, like, really happy to talk to him. Mm. Just think, because he was, like, he's an idol of yours or, like, because I, influence? He's my elder, and so I really respect him. Right. He's also a talker, and so I, and I don't know him well enough to cut him off. Right. Because, like, you know, if I know somebody better, I can guide the conversation more. Mm-hmm. But if someone is not as close, you know, I don't feel as yeah. comfortable like right being like shut up shut up <laughs> shut up uh ian mckay like in the, you know no no way but uh, i feel like we had a good conversation i don't know i liked i liked a lot of them i'm spacing on many of them now i mean phoebe gleckner maybe was phoebe gleckner so i almost started crying at a certain point in the interview where she said she was talking about depicting rapes in her drawings and mm-hmm. she was like i don't find anything shameful about being hurt yeah. And so I Remember don't that. see why I shouldn't draw. And I just, when she said that, I literally almost started crying in the middle of the interview. Which Right. <laughs> that was so real, the, the Gleckner one was. She's real. And like anyway. really like getting to like lay in her bed while she was vaping mm-hmm. at Mocha was really powerful for me. And it was really intimate. and Right. Yeah. Yeah, you really felt that. Yeah. It was cool. I was feeling her. I really enjoy you and Michelle. Oh, thanks. I love doing it with Michelle. I really enjoy that. And almost like I feel that could be, you know, there's all these podcasts with like these two people that that are talking, but I feel like you, like she, you guys really charge each other, first of all, but like she has so many, I really like the way she thinks. I'm an Aquarius too, and Aquarius really dig each other's scene, so I just really see her thought process, but um... I really like that give and take. And she's so good at giving advice, you know? Like, she really is. You I, know? She, she should be doing that, I think. I Well, you more, know, I might more. go to... L- I'm going to go to L.A. for a few months in the fall. And so I'll be there next with her and we can record more things. Yeah. But um, I like anyone that doesn't say, I don't know or I feel unqualified when they're giving advice. I mean, I take that back. Ariel Shrag said I'm not qualified, but then she gave some really powerful advice. But I think... Mm. I don't. I think that that's why I'm okay with giving advice is because I don't have a bunch of qualifiers of yeah. like, I don't know. I mean, maybe uh, I'm not. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to tell you what to do. Like, I do want to tell you what to do. And if like, you don't want my advice, you don't have to take it. But good advice comes from experience. 
first of all, you're not going to be able to give good advice unless you've had a lot of things happen to you. Yeah. Uh, and just, you know, being opinionated. That's yeah. kind of the, the major skill. Yeah, and it's... And it's fun to do. I've, we need more advice questions. I feel annoyed because people have started just texting them right. to the Google Voice number. Right. So then I have to hire voice actors yeah, yeah. to read them, <laughs> which is annoying. I want to hear people's real voices. And I realize yeah. I get fewer advice things here than I did at my blog because it must be, seem less anonymous to people. Right, right. People probably think that they can tell. I but, mean, I can tell some of them. But. but I thought they should be narcissistic enough that they just <laughs> want to hear their voice on the podcast. Right. But Nicole Georges, I'm going to let you get back to work because you have some pages in front of you. I do. I'm hoping to watch. I'm hoping I can find The Bachelorette online because it was on tonight. Yeah. I'm hoping to watch The Bachelorette while I ink my pages for the day. Yeah. That's what I'm hoping to do. Sagittarian Matters is produced by Chris Sutton with assistance by Ponyo Georges. Our theme music is composed by Carolyn Pennypacker Riggs of the band Bouquet. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time. Sagittarian Matters. Did I tell you my jamming story? No. So, I was. this is when I was playing in the Dirt Bombs, which was a huge deal for me. And so we're all, we're all playing, and I'm like, oh my god, I'm playing in the Dirt Bombs. You know, like, the equipment's out. We're playing. There's McCollum. And then <laughs> they're like, oh, so we have to decide um, on, a, uh, on a set list for our shows, you know, because so, we're going to play the same set every night, so we should decide what we're doing, you know. Or maybe we could come up with something, you know, like maybe there's something else we could do. And I was like, well, why don't we just jam and come up with something? And they literally laughed at me for like 10 minutes. <laughs> like they were just like, jam, jam. Where, what kind, who invited the hippie? You know, it was like very, like they never heard that word, you know? And so I was just like, oh my God. And then so for the rest of the tour, I was like, oh, you're going to go eat some kale? Oh, you're wearing some sandals? Like it was very You were like, like yes, obvious. I am. <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> oh, I bet you're going to eat some quinoa. You know, it was like very, so I was just like, oh my God. And so just even hanging out in Detroit, it was just like a different mentality and you know, sometimes I'm just like, oh, what would happen if I would have went there? If I would have went there, I would have joined Gossip, which was yeah. an, an, another amazing experience. But and we wouldn't be doing you know, the podcast right now. Exactly, we wouldn't be doing the podcast. You might be doing a different podcast. Yeah. in Detroit well, from be- a giant house that you bought for twenty five thousand dollars.